um, a not-so-subtle howdy-do to the boys in Rome. Okay. Welcome to the Dan Brown Code. Hi, I'm Lena. I'm Forrest. Now you can tell our voices apart, so that's helpful. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) It would have been difficult otherwise. Today Um, we're doing chapters 81 through the epilogue. Oh, we should clink. We don't have wine this time. We don't have wine. It's a real tragedy. I don't know if you heard that clink. Clinking the Diet Pepsi can (laughs) against the glass of sparkling water. (laughs) It's uh, 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. 3 p.m. I worked this morning on a Saturday because I'm a goddamn hero. I've been just packing nonstop Yeah, because I'm leaving for another continent tomorrow. Anyway. Chapter 81. What's happening? They're on the plane. and Oh, 81. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, they are... They it's, are on the plane. Yeah, last we heard they were going to make some kind of exciting mystery maneuver to get in and avoid the police, and now we're going to see how that plays out. Yeah, so the person, Simon Edwards, the cop who's in charge of apprehending them at the at the airport, no? He's the executive services officer at the airport. He's an airport employee. <laughs> okay. He's supposed to, like, basically facilitate the capture yes. and the search of this plane. I don't know. The plan is that they're going to come... They told them to divert into a different terminal and uh, because of, like, a gas leak. That's the excuse. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to apprehend uh, T-Bang and search the plane for his accomplices and uh, wait for the French police to arrive. Or are they just waiting for the French police to arrive? Uh, they're just keeping them on the plane until the judicial police gets there. Yes, so the Ken- yeah. the Kentish police are there to uh, make sure they stay on the plane, and they're waiting for Bezu Fash and his gang of French police to arrive. I yeah. don't know what the actual extradition laws between France and England are, but who knows? Whatever. So the the plane pulls in, but instead of going into the terminal, it like turns around and goes into his private hangar, uh, T Bing's private hangar. Yes, right? which they told him not to go to because they lied and said there was a gas leak. Right. So they go into it, um, and they turn around and they do their like little maneuver so that they they basically back into the spot. Mm-hmm. Right. They go in and then they turn the the plane around and then T Bing emerges and he's like, "I have a medical appointment. I don't have time for this." And uh. Everyone else is like, no, you have to stay on the plane. And he refuses over and over again. Yeah, and there's been a brief period in the interim when the plane was pulling into the hangar where all the cops and airport staff were rushing over to the hangar where it had been told not to go. Mm -hmm. So there was a period of time when they did not have eyes on the plane. That's right. They lost sight of the plane. And then they keep telling him to stay in the plane. He's like, I will not. And he, quote, hobbles around in defiance. You know how... Disabled people hobble in defiance. That's what I often do. <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, search the plane. Go for it. And nothing is there, basically. Well, he, I mean, he, he he does the kind of like pompous ass thing for a while and like threatens their careers. If they search the plane and stuff like you will not search the plane without a warrant. And then they do and find there's nothing there. And uh, uh oh, that's not great for your career that's when you right. when you illegally board the property of a knight of the realm. I and don't know. so I'm so it's so this. Sorry, I have a migraine. I'm really yeah. trying. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, so basically, yes, uh, T-Bing gets in his car, his nice Jaguar that's waiting there with Remy driving, and they pull out. And the oops. limo. It's a limousine. Yes. Yes. Stretch limousine. Yes. A Jaguar stretch limousine. I have some questions mm-hmm. about the layout of the limousine. Okay. Okay. So Langdon and Sophie clamber toward the rear of the lim- limo's long interior. 
They snuck in while the plane right. was taxiing. Leaving the monk bound on the floor. You've been in a limo before? Like once on prom night. Okay, good. That counts. Um, they settled onto the long seat facing T-Bing. So they're in the back mm-hmm. of the limo? Yeah. There's no... Okay. <laughs> so in a limo, there's one really long seat. Yes. And there's a, a seat by the partition in the front and yes. a, a, she, a seat by the back. And those are yes it's rectangular so those two are shorter than the long one mm-hmm. there's no seat across from the long side right because that's where the bar goes right mm. uh, i'm trying to find where the description is in the it's text. at the bottom of 335 langdon and sylvie clambered towards the rear of the limo's long interior leaving the monk bound on the floor presumably as there the monk somewhere in the front yeah on the floor somewhere who knows so on the long seat facing teabing I mean, they could be, like, angled to face him, but it seems unlikely that they'd be just directly across from each other. Okay. See, that that was... Because the way that facing was put, it sounds like the long seat is facing T-Bang, not Langdon and Sophie. It does sound like that, but I posit two things. One, we're on limited time today. Two, this sounds <laughs> like a severely uninteresting line of inquiry. <laughs> Chapter 82. They're going to talk about this knight's tomb they've come to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on Fleet Street because it's Sweeney Todd's shop. All all creepy things are on Fleet Street. Yeah, there's a crypt there. Yeah. Although um, I think it's actually technically just off of Fleet Street because T-Bing didn't want to give it away immediately mm-hmm. to Robert. He wanted to make him guess. We finally get the entire poem that was hidden from us last time. Last time we just learned, knew the first line was, In London lies a knight, a pope inter- interred. And then we're told that the other three lines made it clear that the knight was in london yeah why does he do this but now we get the whole poem in all its glory it doesn't explain london dan brown retains its um dan brown retains his gift for verse (laughs) in london lies a knight a pope interred his labor's fruit a holy wrath incurred you seek the orb that ought be on his tomb it speaks of rosy flesh and seeded womb beautiful what 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 do you mean it speaks like, now that I've read it and I know what the orb is, is it the orb that's speaking? Yes, it's the orb. I think that's the antecedent to the it. Okay. It's not good. No, it's not but good. But it's not... It's I, not atrocious. I think it's not technically incorrect. There's no reason for them to for Dan to withhold this from us, though, for so long. For as no, long as there's also no reason for him to capitalize holy and rosy. Like, normally you would capitalize nouns if you're going to capitalize things in, like, a archaic style of english oh yeah but he's just doing the adjectives here and it's know. not like it's um i mean aside from pope it's not uh significant in any way like no. holy and rosy aren't significant here no yeah. not at all well i mean rosy aside from uh mary magdalene who's the rose and the holy sure. grail yeah but anyways uh so langdon kind of ponders over this for a while as they're driving around and t-bing's making fun of him for being an idiot and then t-bing reveals that oh a knight a pope interred doesn't just mean a pope was like presiding over his funeral he means literally a pope like caused his death and in that sense interred him put him in the ground and therefore it must be one of the knights templar who were persecuted at the order of the church under a great deal of pressure from the kingdoms of france and maybe spain also (laughs) anyways so it turns out there is a templar church in london i guess yeah I have not seen it. Uh, the Temple Church, so named in honor of Solomon's Temple, which gives the Knights Templar their their name. So you could just say it's named after the Knights Templar, but <laughs> who am I to judge? 
I mean, that's what, what we do here. That's uh, true. The Dan Bronco. That's true. That's true. That's true. It, it's just off of Fleet Street on Inner Temple Lane. And so they're going to go there. It's round, which it's is... A, it's very pagan, right? It's pantheonically it's, pagan. Yeah, it's pagan because it's round. I, again, I feel like this is just leftover research from Angels and Demons. Like, I feel like this was discovered when they were researching for Angels and Demons, and now it's just, like, research sloppy seconds, you know? like Yeah, and also, like, I mean, he was doing some research on the shape of churches earlier, because he was, mm-hmm. he had that whole thing about how the cruciform church is not a cruciform, it's actually in the shape of a woman's reproductive system. Uh, I forgot about that. So. What is the, the top bit? Like a. You know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know lady parts. Um. But yeah, so it turns out that unlike the traditional Christian cruciform layout, now that we've forgotten about the non-Christian elements of that, this one's round in honor of the sun, mm. um, a not-so-subtle howdy-do to the boys in Rome. Teabing would never say howdy-do. They might as well have resurrected Stonehenge down <laughs> in downtown London as his eyebrows do a devilish dance. <laughs> uh Wait, you said it was Ian McKellen in the movie? I did say that. Do his eyebrows do devilish dances? I have not watched it in a while. Okay. I can see his eyebrows devilishly dancing. Uh, Yeah, that makes sense to me. Although, like, I do kind of like the image in the book of this extremely, like, portly, rosy guy doing this as opposed to Ian McKellen, who's like a... Anyways. (laughs) Um, So they they, they do the thing again where they try to guess the five-letter word without having to go to the place. And so they guess... Grail, Graal, Graal, Venus, Maria, Jesus, Sarah, and uh, none of them work. Duh. Yeah, they wouldn't have made you answer a riddle and go to a place if that was going right. to cut, <laughs> cut, cut, cut the mustard. <laughs> so anyways, um, they're driving to the church. Yep. And they're excited because now they're invisible because no one knows they're there because the Kentish police would assume that the plane was empty and that they are still in France. Yeah, and so now they're trying to think about, like, okay, so who's really behind what, right? So, like, well, you know, it could be Fash, because he's religious and is intending on pinning these murders on him, which are the only two things you need to be that of a conspiracy, mm-hmm. to be bad at your job and wear a crucifix. So they, they are approaching the temple church, and, uh, I don't know, Dan Brown hates the Millennium Eye, I guess. Yeah, and also, for a guy who is obsessed with, like, proving people wrong with minutiae in a extremely identifiable way dan brown and robert langdon mentioned that the london skyline was once dominated by big ben and the tower bridge and uh big ben's the bell my friend <laughs> it's not the tower it's not do- big ben's not dominating the skyline bitch um you know get your facts straight i mean he has a lot of facts to get straight in this book but that's like a, that's like everyone knows everyone that. knows that one um i like the london eye I, nice. ha- I have fun on it. Yeah, I went on it when I was little. Yeah, it's great. It is now the Coca-Cola London Eye. I did not know that. I did not go on my most recent trip. Um, <laughs> although, we uh, a friend... So, I went with three friends, two of whom were like... It was a combination honeymoon slash vacation with friends. Mm-hmm. And so, one night, they wanted to be separated from me and our other drunkest friend. <laughs> and so, they went to... They got their own hotel for the night and went to go see Julius Caesar with Ben Wishaw as... Ooh. as um, brutus is that guy's name and so my other friend and i went on a boat trip down the thames uh and drank a lot of wine and the tour guide on the boat was dan brown 
no, he was this dead voice guy who like had these extremely dumb jokes that were made kind of good by just the virtue of his accent. <laughs> and Mr. Carlinas, so the London Eye is a Ferris wheel. And you might think it's not moving right now, but it is moving. It's just very slow. <laughs> and so a lot of people like to think, oh, the top is a very good place to propose to, you know, your bird. And so the thing that you got to realize is it takes a full half hour to go around. And so the problem is if you get to the top and she says no, then it's a very awkward 15 minutes down. <laughs> so, and then he just kept on going. <laughs> it was, it was really good. It sounds like he's speaking from experience. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's about the London Eye. And... <laughs> Sophie and Robert talk more about, you know, their experiences together and what about these documents and my grandfather must have thought you were good if he told you to come find me to come find you and right. Dan Brown doesn't want the documents destroyed but he's also not sure that they should just be released out into the world and destroy the church which they won't do. And she's like, "So what do you think I should do?" and Langdon's like, "I'm playing devil's advocate." Yeah. Essentially. Uh, Langdon says, religious allegory has become a part of the fabric of reality, and in, and living in that reality helps millions of people cope and be better people. And Sophie says, but it appeals, p- appears their reality is false. Langdon chuckled, no more false than that of a mathematical cri- cryptographer who believes in the imaginary number I because it helps her break codes. And those are not the same thing. And it's too stupid, I'm not going to get into it right now. But... I found it a little bit convincing. <laughs> I is an is an I mean it's an imaginary number. There's no is. such thing as the square root of negative one. Well, <sighs> you can't do it. There's no square root of a negative because you multiply two negatives together, you get a positive. Multiply a positive and negative to to negative, but you can't multiply the same number by itself and to get, get a, negative. a negative. Yes. So it's an imaginary number, but it's different applications. Like it doesn't it doesn't hold. I'd like to ask Dawkins about it though, just to see him get. Oh well god, it'd be good. One thing that I liked. Um, so. They're discussing the Bible, right? The Bible represents a fundamental guidepost for millions of people on the planet in much the same way the Quran, Torah, and the Pali Canon. And you're like, well, I've heard of those first two books. I don't know what about the Pali Canon is. That's Pali, P-A-L-I, not P-O-L-Y, with the canon that guides my life. Um, but it's it's like a collection of Buddhist texts, and it's also the first thing that Dan Brown could think of when he was Googling for holy texts that aren't abrahamic in nature i found it okay i believe you 83 chapter 83 okay uh they're trying to get into this temple church but it's not open yet because it's early in the morning yeah we get a lot of uh description of the church and like just some fun facts yeah it survived a bunch of you know various cataclysms like the great fire of london and uh got ruined heavily got damaged by the luftwaffe in the blitz Mm -hmm. um the group of langdon and sophie and teabing is described as a threesome i noticed that it's i don't like it um you got to keep up that metaphor from a million years ago it was it really feels like it was a million years ago again we come back to the castel sant'angelo and the pantheon that's why i'm convinced they didn't do any new research yeah the architecture um, is coarse and simple much like the castel sant'angelo right which isn't that rough and simple it's nice but i guess sort of 
I guess in the grand scheme of religious architecture, it's, yeah. it's fine. I don't have many notes for this. No, they come up with a little plan to be able to get into the place. There's an altar boy vacuuming, and Robert poses as the heir of the wealthy family that, you know, Built the church, rebuilt basically. the church after yeah. the war. And, and Sophie uh, has his wife, because it wouldn't be a Dan Brown book if there wasn't some convoluted reason to pretend to be married. They have to walk... I mean, this is two books in a row now where we've walked into a pantheon or pantheon-shaped building with Robert Langdon posing with the lead lady in the book as his wife. That's right. Um, And they get pretty far in. The altar boy doesn't care that much. And, uh, you know, he lets him into the church to look around and... Dan Brown says that every year they come and scatter a little bit of his father's ashes at the side of the church. And so they go down to the crypt, or what they assume is the crypt, and start looking at all these statues. Because there's ten tombs there, and each of them has a statue of a knight on top. We learn later that one of them doesn't have a statue of a knight on top, which you think you might have noticed when you walk in the room. And it's like, oh, here's ten, like podiums and all of them have a knight on top except for that one you wouldn't go like ah uh, yes 10 knights all around me and then you suddenly <laughs> walk up to something like oh <laughs> where is it where to go uh it sounds pretty dope it, i'm i mean i know i shouldn't be excited to watch the movie because i'm only going to be disappointed but i'd like to see this scene it sounds yeah. cool we get so langdon's a, a complimenting teabing on his lying skills and we learn that uh Teabing was a theatrical youth at the Oxford Theatre Club, Mm. and uh, he jokes about how he played Caesar in the production of Julius Caesar, and he says, no one's ever performed the first scene of Act 3 with more dedication, and now Langdon's also an expert on literature well past his period of expertise, because I thought Caesar was dead in that scene, and Teabing notes that, oh yeah, he is, but my toga tore open when I fell, and I had to to lie on stage for half an hour with my todger hanging out. Why doesn't he have underwear on, under his toga? He's being authentic to the Roman lifestyle, and also he's like a, I don't know, theater lad at Oxford. Maybe maybe they have weird traditions, like you you don't wear underwear when you play Caesar. I don't, okay. It's an ancient and storied institution. They must have dumb traditions. I mean, surely they do. Uh, 84? Actually, I, I had like two more notes. Oh, go, go for it. Sorry. One is that uh, he does mention finally here that the Templars invented the concept of modern banking, which is how they made all their money, not through extorting the church because of weird documents, but he doesn't make that connection. Mm. And um, two is that, so he talks about how the church is like blank and stark and bleak and doesn't have like ornamentation. And then Teabing says that's, the Church of England, Anglicans drink their religion straight, nothing to distract from their misery. Oh, I missed And that. I might be wrong, but I thought that Anglicans were basically Catholics, but, like, King Henry VIII can get divorced, and women can be bishops now, but they couldn't, like, a while ago. If that's the case, which I think it is, I might do some research and cut this part out, but, like, then they would have plenty of ornamentation and fancy stuff and giant cathedrals, for instance, and things like this, you know. Big, I don't know. Big royal weddings and coronations and all kinds of things that <laughs> distract you from the misery of your existence in that benighted aisle. I'm sorry, what was that first word? Benighted? Okay. Chapter 84. Uh, Remy's uh, doing secret agent stuff, mm-hmm. it turns out. 
It's very exciting. Remy's like anticipating the end of his servitude mm-hmm. to Lee Teabing. Yeah, he's going to be a man of leisure. That's right. And um, he so he goes back to the into the cab of the limousine. Sure. Or you know where the rich yeah, people the, sit. Yeah, the main room. Yes, <laughs> and, and unties uh, Silas and gives him some alcohol to help like his circulation return to his body, and um, you know. It's uh, it's it's getting kind of exciting. There's a lot of double yeah. crossing. There's a lot of who's what and who's doing where and why. And the chapter is also longer than it needs to be because we so got like long. a full page of Silas of like Remy's getting his knife ready to cut Silas loose, and Silas thinks he's gonna kill him with the knife. And so like there's all this oh why has God forsaken me? And oh well, God, I can't believe I'm gonna die. I was just doing the Lord's work, and then oh it's a it's a twist. Remy cuts him miracle. free. Yeah, and like we knew that when he was talking about going to be a man of leisure and stuff. Meanwhile, Captain Fush is uh, arriving at the Kent Airport, right? Mm-hmm. Biggin Hill. He's basically like, okay, open up the the safe. Let's let's see that rosewood box. Well, also, Fash is the first person who's uh, thought of the idea of interrogating the pilot of the plane. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So basically, the pilot meant the pilot spills the beans and then also says he doesn't know the combination of the safe but he uh is trying to get out of trouble he knows some guys in maintenance there and suggests that they can drill the safe open yeah because he doesn't want to lose his job as a pilot so he has no or go to jail for like you know making an illegal flight and then like breaking a bunch of laws and stuff fosh is called by aringarosa correct and aringarosa is like you told me you would stop the plane and fosh is like i don't know dude they're criminals yeah i was was trying it was a whole thing yeah um, and Aringarosa has rerouted his plane to London, no, which we mentioned last time. Right? Yes. Yeah, because yes. he gave the guy his ring. But he's going to Kent now instead. Yes. Because Fash told him to. Yeah, it's kind of exciting. Things are picking up. Yeah, and there's some something's going on with Fash and Aringarosa, because Fash says, as I expressed when we first spoke, Bishop, you would do well to remember you are not the only man on the verge of losing everything. That's right. So is Fash the teacher? Is... It could be. Yeah. Well, we know it's not Aringarosa. It's not Aringarosa. It's not Silas. That's all we know. It could be Robert Langdon. It's not not Robert Langdon. (laughs) Could be the woman who introduced him as uh, being chocolate or Oh, that would have been good. (laughs) Remember me. (laughs) So now they're back in, we're we're back in the temple church and they're going around looking for missing tombs, looking for missing orbs on the tombs. Yeah. And nothing's popping out. No, but they are struck by the fact in this round room, and you're thinking about orbs, and you're like, man, remember the Hyros Gamos? Um, <laughs> Probably did that I bet, here. I bet people did that in here. It must have been exciting. <laughs> the altar boy is like, so are you done? You guys, or... yeah. And they're like, no, no, give us some privacy. We're going to sprinkle the ashes. And through this conversation, we learn that it is not a crypt. In fact, there's just, those are just like... Yeah, so Tributes. so the altar boy first like thinks Robert Landon looks familiar, um, and then it's like, oh, it's because I come here every year. Like I said, I'm the you know son of the guy who made the place, and then um, Langdon says something like, oh, I've traveled uh, many distance to scatter ashes amongst these tombs, and the altar boy's like, these aren't tombs, <laughs> um, and then, <laughs> then Langdon's like, oh. And uh, the jig's up because mm-hmm. they're not tombs. They're just effigies, basically. The 
people are buried elsewhere. Uh, it was believed to be a crypt, but was revealed as nothing of the sort during the 1950 renovation. And I imagine Mr. Wren would know that, considering it was his family that uncovered that fact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is all very exciting, right? He's yep. scooby-doing around. And then they hear some commotion at the entrance of the church. And uh, they try to send the altar boy off to go check out what it is. Uh, Teabing sounds flabbergasted first for a second. That's true. Um, which is a word that has been popping up in my life a lot recently. Funny how that kind of thing hmm. happens. Does that happen to you? Yeah. Um, there's a there's a trivia concept for it called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Mm. Where like it's a little slightly different, but it's like basically you miss a question, like learn a fact at some point, and you like note it, and then suddenly you just see it everywhere. Oh, I think the Bader Meinhof were like some Hungarian anti-communist militia or something. Okay, uh, <laughs> and I forget. Uh, there's some reason why it's called that, but the altar boy gets grabbed by a person in a tuxedo mm-hmm. and he pisses himself, and then he, he is, does. He is told to leave, and so he runs with piss-soaked pants out yeah, into the night or something. You will exit this church silently, and you will run. You will not stop. Is that clear? If yep. you call the police, I will find you. <laughs> Does I Liam have Neeson a certain play? <laughs> set of skills. <laughs> Does Liam Neeson play uh, Remy in this? I do not remember who plays Remy. Le Galaduc. <laughs> um, you remembered his last name. Uh, maybe. <laughs> no, I think that's it. Okay. Um, oh, man. Guess who's doing things in the manner of a ghost? Could it be the albino monk? Yeah, it's the ghost, <laughs> Silas. Uh, he's snuck in behind Sophie, and now he has the gun barrel against her spine and a powerful arm wrapped across her chest, which we recently learned from the internet that Dan Brown is um, maybe into BDSM. Yeah, in a submissive way. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just think about that whenever people are tied up or, or, powerful, anything, arms or, are or powerful arms are mentioned, you know. Um, we haven't gotten many powerful arms in this book. We got true. a lot in the last one. I've been kind of. This is like the second one. I think. Yeah, we, I mean, we haven't had like a lot of like. There's our male characters aside from Robert Langer. This is like old professorial type. This devout monk who's had like his. He's had a few like borderline sadomasochistic moments mm-hmm. with his Silas, but Kalike. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> And so basically, Silas is trying to shake him down for the cryptex or the information that he needs to find the keystone yeah. and stuff. Remy was talking about how he had to, uh, a little over a year ago, he was simply a 55-year-old manservant living within the walls of, Chate- uh, of Chateau Villette, catering to the whims of the insufferable C-word, uh, Sir Lee Teabing. Lee Teabing. Then he was approached with an extraordinary proposition. It's a very awkward turn of phrase the way he talks about his servitude to lee teabing and how it changes and i i mean i know it's intentional i mean there's a few there's a few of the misdirects here that i'm okay with literary misdirect in service of a mystery Mm -hmm. in spite of how i've protested against the way dan brown does it and i have the same thing here where like when you read back over it with the knowledge of you know who the teacher is the misdirect doesn't make any sense. It really like, doesn't. It's yeah. not how you would phrase it. It just is bad. It's just glaring. I don't know. Yeah, like the first time you read it, it really seems like he's playing some game with you. You know, he's like Dan Brown's not being honest with this. But when you go back with the knowledge that spoiler alert, um, yeah, back it. <laughs> um, when you go back with the knowledge you have later, just the phrasing is very awkward and bad, and it doesn't really accomplish the task of like being a clever misdirect it just is 
a very clumsy misdirect. Yeah. And it looks like Silas's um, effort to recover the keystone isn't going well. And so Remy's pondering coming in to help, even though he's been explicitly forbidden from showing his face. So Sir Lee Teabing is looking at Remy, and who is aiming a gun at him and he's like what are you what is he doing you know and uh everyone's just dumbstruck and there's uh remy says set down the keystone or i pull the trigger and so i I think we hadn't yet actually mentioned that remy does decide he is going to show his face and then steps out of the shadows with the gun pointed at teeping's head old man i've been waiting a long time to do this so what is the plan here so langdon has the cryptex Lee Teabing is over there. Mm-hmm. Sophie's being held at gunpoint. Yeah. But now Sophie and Teabing are being held at gunpoint. And now it's a much better situation. So, so say he doesn't <laughs> say he doesn't set it down, right? He uh-huh. refuses. Okay, so he's going to shoot Teabing? Mm-hmm. Now what reason does Langdon have to hand it over? Well, then they're going to shoot Sophie. <laughs> he might as well just break it. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't play out. He has no incentive to actually let go of the cryptex. I think the suspicion is that they think that Robert Langdon is so intent on also finding this that he wouldn't actually break the cryptex. I think they think he's bluffing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only way to call his bluff, I guess, is to raise a second person that he likes at gunpoint. And then he'll really have no other option but to give them the cryptex or something because he won't destroy it because of his interest in the grail. Right. Okay. I guess. It works, doesn't it? It does work, because Langdon's an idiot. Yeah. Um, I feel like people don't think through Mexican standoff situations very much. No, I don't think so. Because <laughs> often it's always just like a lose-lose-lose. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Some, sometimes that's the point. Like, the, the the good, the bad, and the ugly one, right? Yeah. At the end of that, like... I mean, Clint Eastwood winds up winning, I guess. But um, I think... I don't remember that movie. It's been a while. It's good. But, you know, it's... Very much a situation where I think all three people going into it more or less have resigned themselves to the rolling the dice of, you know, one of us or none of us may wind up walking away from this thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, we live in the hard scrabble old west. So I guess that's the way it works. Whereas <laughs> this one doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um. So anyway, Langdon is like he's going to he's just pretending like he's going to throw it on the floor. Uh, but he doesn't, and he gives it to Silas, who grabs it, and uh, they take T-Bing with them. Langdon does the thing he does. I think he might have done this in the last novel, too, where, like, Silas is like, we're taking Mr. T-Bing with us. And Langdon's like, no, take me instead. I'll be the hostage. And everyone's like, no, we don't want we don't you want as you. a hostage. <laughs> you, seem very, you seem like the hero kind of hostage, which is the worst kind of hostage. <laughs> Um, and Sophie's like, who are you working for? And Remy's like, you'd be surprised. And they just disappear. Um, all right. 87. We're in the drawing room of Chateau Villette. We're back with Lieutenant Collet. We're sleuthing. Oh, I've, I came up with a, a term for when Dan Brown tells us something that we already know. It's called dansplaining. Love it. Thanks. Uh, we get peanut allergies dansplained to us. Yes. In this one. Um, shout out to, um, peanut allergy sufferer Chris is pooping. Yeah, also, Chris's my little brother. But yeah, Chris is pooping. I'm I'm sorry about that. I know that they're really rough. I mean, I think he takes a jocular air to it. His Twitter avatar is Mr. Peanut. Is it? It is. That's funny. Um, I'm also on the record as being convinced he's not actually allergic to peanuts. So, you know, take <laughs> well, that. <laughs> it's a long story. 
anyway, so they're they're doing some snooping, and uh, there's a ladder and a hayloft in and, the garage. Yeah, to, to the barn. There's a ladder to a surveillance suite. Yeah, like uh, like you know, in Batman in the Batcave. Yeah, where there's all those screens. It's mm-hmm. basically that. Um, it's pretty cool. And I don't at this point like he need Calais needs help getting up the ladder. Like people like grab him by the shoulders and hoist him up. And how old is Calais? I mean, we've been saying he's a young gunner, and I'm convinced that remains true. You think he's a young gunner? I mean, yeah, I don't know why he needs help. That maybe he just wanted help. That uh, maybe it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. Um. I mean, he's got all his heavy cop gear on. That's he's true. Got his... So obviously, T Bing can't go up here. So it must be Remy's little, little yeah, sort little of spy nest. Yeah. And um, it's listening in among other places on. Jacques Saunier's private office in the Louvre. Yes. Where Collet was earlier, so he's like, oh my god. He's been bugged. People were listening in on us and also on Saunier. Alright, 88? I think so. Um, So they have to find Lee and fix this. Because the only way to find... So they have to find uh, wherever the, the orb is supposed to be, basically. Yes, in order to rescue Lee, you, you've got to beat or at least meet Teabing, Silas, and Remy at wherever the clue was actually leading to since it wasn't leading to the temple, mm-hmm. right? That was a false lead. So there must be somewhere else in London that this clue is going to go to, and where better to find that? Then another archive. Archives! This <laughs> is our first real archive scene in this one. Yeah. So this one's get not excited as exciting because there's no, like red lights and uh oxygen no it's just a friendly research librarian yeah a nice lady our third woman i think in this book yeah so you know it's nice to get a second one third (laughs) i mean like yeah third second actual one the first one had like two lines well we have sandrine and we have the one oh sandrine i forgot about sandrine how could you (laughs) 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 she died doing what she loved um anyway um so they go to the place to uh, to king's college yeah to their electronic theological database um and meanwhile sophie is reporting the kidnapping of At one of those famous british payphones oh yeah D- does he talk about how the payphone is is, is now nah, he thing? just says at the payphone oh he could have though um and then, uh, so she's saying, my name is Agent Sophie Novo, and I'm reporting this tip. And then Bazoufash gets on the phone, and he's like, Sophie, please come home. You're in grave danger. Uh, but she thinks it's a trap. Yeah. He's like, we know you're not, you know, a murderer, but come, so yeah, come back. You know, and she's you, like, uh-uh. You did not tell me Jacques Saunier was your grandfather. I'm going to overlook your insubordination. You know, you're, un- you're under a lot of stress, sweetie. Um <laughs> But you guys need to come to safety. And so then she tells him, you know, you got to look for Remy Legaludek. He's Teabing's manservant. He just kidnapped him. And uh, then Fash cuts her off with a, get back here now. This is order. And also, like, don't talk about this on an open line. This is yeah, un- that too. Miss yeah. Cryptologist. Yeah. 89. Um, Bezu Fash is on the plane. Yes. Of 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 Teabing, Teabing's plane. Mm-hmm. There we go. And uh he sees the the first cryptex that has the word Sophia on it and he's like Yeah, drinking. they busted the safe open. Yeah. And uh Vernet talks to him 
and Renee's like, they stole the thing from me. <laughs> and Pasha's like, okay, but they had the key and the account numbers. Like, and did also, they like, steal it? And also people were murdered. Like, get your priorities <laughs> in order, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and so he's like, why do you think they're criminals? And Renee's like, well, they killed four people. And Pasha's like, okay, but they didn't. And, like, cool yeah. it. Um, Monsieur Vernet, my men have done some checking into your background and your interests. You are obviously a man of great culture and refinement. I would imagine you are a man of honor as well as am I. That said, I give you my word as commanding officer of the police judiciaire that your box, along with your bank's reputation, are in the safest of hands. Your accent slipped into Antonio Banderas there for yeah, a second. I know. <laughs> it was actually an exciting shift. I'm, I liked I'm, it. I'm not good at maintaining accents very long. <laughs> Um, high in the hayloft. So they're back uh, in the hayloft. Chapter nine is that chapter ninety is the thing that I thought happened at the end of the other chapter. We just find out where all the surveillance is. Oh yeah, it's basically like all the the cine show. Mm-hmm. And uh, although weren't there, I thought there's a grandmaster and three cine show. Yeah, I think Ma- Michael Breton is just like the CIA guy. Oh, I I thought okay, I thought they were all cine show. So no. maybe just also wants the head of French intelligence, just to be just safe. in case. Yeah. So yeah, uh, the the Senate shows jobs. By the way, there's the chairman of the Conseil Constitutionnel, mm-hmm. uh, another museum curator. So two museum curators are high ups in the Priory of Sion, and then also the senior archivist at the Mitterrand Library. Yep. And then they've been spying on the head of French intelligence. Um, My favorite thing about it, uh-huh. so he's reading a list of where they're meeting Yves Japon, right? Because right. he's looking at a list, and the list has people's names and then their job title. And so it's <laughs> Michel Breton, head of DAS, parentheses, French intelligence. <laughs> I bet this French cop would know that. And we have to... So where do they get this list from? Is it a list that uh, Remy just had going in his bunker because it's unclear if it's it's unclear to me if it's a list that he found or if it's a list that they've compiled because like it does it doesn't say Mm. anyways anyway uh and then there's a thing that is on sunnier like the blueprints for a thing that's on sunnier's desk yeah it's that mechanical night he made i think we talked about it oh yeah yeah if we didn't he made a mechanical night from a da vinci sketch and that's where the microphone's hidden. 91. Silas is uh, in the passenger seat up front in the limo. Mm-hmm. Um, his hands are sweaty. Knees weak. Arms are heavy. It's vomiting on a sweater already. Mom's spaghetti. And um, Remy comes up and is like, how you doing? And uh, there's teeping the screaming in the back. And mm-hmm. Remy's like, shut the fuck up. Yep. Um, and then minutes is, later... Is, is Guel, Guel, is Guel? that mouth? Yeah, it's like I mean, Boosh's mouth, okay. It's like gullet. Yeah. Like, it's a vile way of saying mouth. Okay, that's cool. I like it. Yeah. Um, The teacher calls Silas and is like, hey, so we're going to have Remy deliver the, the, the keystone. Yes. I need you to go into hiding at the um, Opus Dei Opus Center Day headquarters in London. In London yeah. Uh, you've done very well. The reason why Remy has to do it is because I had to take care of Remy because Remy showed his face. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not because I like him better, I promise. 
And now give Remy the phone. Yeah. And then he talks to Remy and Remy's like, ah, this Silas guy is going to fucking get it. Like, Yeah. The teacher used you, Silas. You fucking idiot. Yeah. Your bishop's a pawn in his <laughs> game. Um, and then there are no kind words from the teacher. He just says, take Silas to the headquarters and then meet me next to Big Ben, which is, again, Adjacent the bell. Parliament and Big Ben. Um, and then you can park the limousine there and we'll talk. Okay. And now we're back in the library. It was established by King George the Fourth in 1829, or yeah. at least the college was. I guess uh, Dan Brown read the About Us section on the website here because we just yes. get a bunch of like dates and who did what. It would have been cooler to go to an older university, but who am I to judge? Are they going to drive all the way to Cambridge from London? There must be an older university in London. Mm, this might be the one. <laughs> <laughs> um, it has to be. <laughs> so, um, uh female archivist although he doesn't do the thing where he says female archivist no just pamela get him it's <laughs> a good name um he get says, him pam it says uh on the far side of a, of a room a reference a reference librarian was just pouring a pot of tea and settling in for her day of work so he doesn't yeah, do the thing he figured where out he, how to do it yeah i'm congratulations proud of making progress That's growth baby um and she's basically oh i forget the name of that actress just never mind <laughs> what's, she, what's she been in I mean, Doctor Who. <laughs> Which one in Doctor she Who? She was Donna. Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, I don't know her name either. But you know the actress? Yeah, the redhead lady. Th- that's that's who I, I imagine. Okay. Here. I mean, honestly, whenever there's a female librarian in a book or a movie, all I can picture is the scene from The Big Sleep where there's the female lady who owns fe- the female lady who owns the bookshop. <laughs> um, have you seen The Big Sleep? No, I haven't. Okay, uh, I might send you a YouTube link to the scene. It's like one of the sexiest things ever set to film okay <laughs> but it should not be it's <laughs> fucked up but like i said what humphrey bogart goes i have a pretty good bottle of whiskey in my or got a pretty pretty good bottle of rye in my pocket and he pulls out a bottle of rye whiskey from his pocket it's raining in la like it is in every fucking scene in that movie it's good stuff <laughs> amazing um pamela Getham has a, a i don't know how to say this word in english genial pamela Getham is um ash ketchum's aunt <laughs> um yes genial genial and erudite face so we're back to and the pleasingly fluid voice uh didn't someone else have a fluid voice i hope not i think sophie had a fluid voice gross way to describe a voice i don't like it but um she's got thick horn glasses because she's a nerd (laughs) victoria had a fluid gait yes that sounds true um there's just they go through this whole thing where they're trying to like hide what they're looking for from her, what they're looking for from her, and then she's like, "You're looking for like Grail shit, right?" And they're like, "What?" She's like, "Everyone who comes here is looking for Grail shit. This is like the Grail shit library. I'm the Grail shit librarian. Just tell me what you're googling. I'll help you find it." <laughs> and so they keep on looking for London Knight and Pope, and eventually realize that a well, Pope. A, oh, hold on. Yeah. So first it explains how the search engine works, which God, is extraordinarily boring. It's... And then she goes, to begin, we'll run a straight Boolean with a few ob- obvious keywords. And of all the things to not explain... <laughs> it's Boolean. <laughs> why skip Boolean? It just sounds like nerd shit. It's the one that's hard. It's not hard to explain, but like, whatever. Oh, God. I didn't mind it. I'm surprised Langdon wasn't like, what do you mean by <laughs> yeah. Boolean? Um, but they try London Night Pope. A lot of like garbage things pop up. Um she asks, is this some kind of Harvard scavenger hunt? And he's like, in a kind way. Of. But it isn't at all. And she knows no. that. Um, and th- then they show her the whole poem. And she's like, okay, well, let's look for 
Night London Pope tomb, but also Grail Rose, Songriel, yeah. and Chalice, you know, within a hundred word proximity. And then she offers to make him tea. Yep. That's it. So now it's time to take a little break for 187 Men to Avoid. I think today we're doing numbers 55 through 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, through 60. All right. Number 55. <laughs> Men who say okie dokie. Saying okie dokie is fine. It's fine. My little brother says okie dokie artichoke. It's, it's never. It rules. It's adorable. I know. It's so cute. Men who just want to be friends. What? I don't like that one. It's it's. I'm friends with lots of women. I don't want to be more than their friends. Right. Just it's be fine. friends with people regardless of their gender. Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? <laughs> Whatever the Sometimes next line I think of that song you're in the CIA. <laughs> they wouldn't have you in the map IA. Is that a line in that song? Oh yeah. Holy shit! I gotta listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know why I know that? There's a Smash Mouth cover of it on the Lizzie McGuire soundtrack. Oh, that sounds incredible. <laughs> um. Men who bought the Ginsu knife set. I don't know much about Ginsu knives. I know they're supposed to be really sharp. And yeah. I, it's a Motion City soundtrack song where he talks about his girlfriend shaving her legs with Ginsu knives. That's I don't bad. know. I mean, I just assumed it was like a door-to-door like Cutco knife salesman thing. He didn't like people got scanned by knife salesmen, which my family did. So and the knives, I saw the, that. The knives still work. They're fine. <laughs> At least your family didn't get scammed into selling them. Yeah. Right? One, two, three. We do six at a time, right? Six at a time. Okay. 58. Men who own more than one model of the USS Enterprise. See, I hate this one. <laughs> Here's why. If you own one model of the USS Enterprise... That's the reprehensible thing. That's the worst... Th- I mean, it's not the worst thing, but like, it's not, it's not great, because it, it belies your... Uh, shallow level of Star Trek fandom, I feel, because unless you're like particularly dedicated to a particular version of the Star Trek Inter- Starship Enterprise, and like you just want the original series one, I understand that. But like, you know, I guess Dan Brown doesn't like nerds. But like, you know, if you got one, you're a fucking nerd. If you got more than one, you're just a nerd who likes more than one Star Trek show, and you like to appreciate both elements of the USS Enterprise D and the USS Enterprise A. Like, whatever, dude. I mean, for me, it's just like, by the time you have one, what is there to preclude you from buying more, right? Like, if you are that much of a fan that you went and bought a model of the USS Enterprise, you're in it to win it. Just fucking commit, you know? In fact, anyone who has just one is non-committal and should be avoided. Exactly. That's my that's my theory. Unless you got like one but also like a model of DS9 or something. Sure. Or you shouldn't have a model of Voyager. I take that back. <laughs> okay, 59? Yeah. Men whose homes have that litter box smell. Some people like cats. Yeah, but ventilation is important. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't like cats that much, so I think they're fine, but I'm allergic to them. I just like, look, keep your house clean. I don't know. Open a window every once yeah, in a while. Yeah, I used to house it for a lady who, like, really was a problem. I had a cat problem. It was. I mean, she only had a couple cats, but like they were vile creatures. I'm very sorry. All right, sixty men with hairy moles. I almost burned that house down. Oh, for the cat lady's house? <laughs> yeah, not okay. on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> there was a fire in the backyard. Fire around to come. Spray a hose on it. This whole thing. It's good stuff. Okay, 60. <laughs> 60. Men with hairy moles. Again, like, people don't have a lot of control over that. Yeah, it, it just seems happens really to people. But Dan Brown does hate any, like, physical... 
hesitate to say deformities for this even, but like just like any kind of any kind of physical abnormality or aberration from like some kind of perfect norm embodied by Dan Brown's perfectly featureless face. I mean, that's the thing. He's he's so smooth and featureless that I think anything that that uh, deviates from that is unacceptable. Speaking of D Space Nine, my man is over here looking like Odo. <laughs> <laughs> Ninety three. Uh, do I have notes for this one? I do. Silas is going to the Opus Day Center. Yep. Uh, and he gets there, and they're like, are you American? And he's like, yeah, I'm in town on, only for the one day. Which, I thought he had a French accent, because he's French. Maybe he can disguise it. Why bother? Well, because <laughs> what if they hear we're looking for an albino French monk on the police radio? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, we don't got one of those, only an albino American monk. <laughs> So, Aringarosa is Spanish, Silas is French, but met Aringarosa in Spain, and they both moved to New York. Correct. All right, just checking. And maybe he even has an American citizenship. We don't know that. It's possible. It's a melting pot. Um, 94. So, they're at St. James Park, and uh, Remy's meeting with a teacher, right? Uh, I mean, sorry, but before that, we do get Opus Dei is called by the police. Oh, and uh like, do you have an albino monk? and the police are like yeah we're looking for an albino monk and he's like oh yeah yeah, yeah he's upstairs is something wrong and the police are like uh, don't let him go we're 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 we're, we're coming st james's park yeah um the teacher I hate this chapter yeah me too uh remy's in the driver's seat and then the teacher comes in to the passenger side and uh look the end is near and i will drink some cognac to celebrate or whatever yeah. um and there's a page break for no reason do you know why there's a page break here um no i do not thanks okay um because i've never worked in publishing so I yeah don't know. there's like a it isn't really it there's not there's no passage of time because he's like no, here just, a toast to you and he like yeah, grabs the bottle that's weird yeah i don't like it also that paragraph isn't indented right no it is um, not there's some shoddy fucking publishing work going on for the best-selling novel in history <laughs> and uh remy takes it and he drinks it and he's like i will never be a servant again which true it's true um and then he starts to have an allergic reaction and i knew this was the book with the person who dies of peanut allergies i remember i did not remember that at all it's stuck in my mind like a lot i was like what a horrible way to die yeah. um but he's put like peanut shavings in this cognac or whatever yeah like oh when we first got in the limo I, we didn't mention it because i forgot it came up again but like teabing offers um robert and sophie he's like oh would you like some crisps or peanuts mm-hmm. or some seltzer mm. and uh it turned out that he was able to take the peanut dust and Sprinkled we into the... Who the teacher is yet. I didn't say who. I just said he. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's still top secret. <laughs> Can you guess who it is? Um, um, and he's like, oh, now I know why the cognac was so salty. And I'm yeah. like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whatever. Um, anyway, Remy dies. I trusted you with everything. Teacher leaves the limousine like a fucking gangster and uh, just walks toward the back of the limousine. The back of the limousine, and uh, he needs to tie up one more loose end. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, and then minutes later... I'm, I'm going to have a problem with this later, just so you know. So <laughs> when the teacher first walks, we learn that he's approaching the front door, and so Remy leans across to open it, and then he goes to the back door to tie up one last loose end. Mm-hmm. Just keep that in mind. Yeah. Uh, teacher is now going to... Uh, Westminster, Westminster Abbey. Abbey. Yeah. Is that it? Uh, oh, uh, at this point, I started to imagine the teacher as being played by James Spader. Oh, uh, yeah. You've watched too much of The Blacklist. I've watched a lot of The Blacklist, and the sitting next to someone in a car while they die and then, like, nonchalantly walking across the park is something that okay. is very Blacklist. And so, yeah, the, the teacher had an unfair advantage on figuring out the riddle before they did because um, he has heard the Grand Master of the Priory of Scion mention this famous knight on a number of occasions from his hidden listening post in his office. Oh, God, we got to hurry. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and... At the same time, Bishop Ringarosa is speeding in a cab to the Opus Dei Center in London. Ringarosa is so lost in the sauce. He's things yeah. are just falling apart around him. Okay, 95. Langdon's still at the library, and uh, they want coffee, but they hear the microwave running, and they're like, ah, yeah. oh, fuck, we're going to get Nescafe. And yeah. I like Nescafe. It's fine. Um, it's a chapter of Googling. Yeah, it's a Google chapter. At the end of it, it's revealed that the knight A. Pope interred is referring to Sir Isaac Newton, which was presided over, his funeral was presided over by Alexander Pope, A. Pope. Um, ah, what a clever misdirect. There's a bit here where she says, uh, how modern is this knight? Don't tell me it's your Sir Rudy Giuliani. Personally, I found that one a bit off the mark. <sighs> And, uh... Did he, he get is, knighted? He has an, honor, Holy an honorary shit. knighthood, but you can't call him Sir Rudolph because it's just honorary. So he can say... I think he can put, like, Rudy Giuliani, like, H-D-E or something after okay. his name. But, yeah, he was... He received an honorary knighthood after 9-11. America's mayor. <laughs> God damn it. And just a fine legal mind. Anyway, it's chapter 96. Uh, yeah, Alexander Pope, right? Yes. And so we know it's in Westminster So it's Newton. Abbey. He's buried in Westminster Abbey. Um, cut back to Silas in the Opus Day Center as the cops bust down his door. And so he's in his underwear and he gets in a fight with the cops. Wasn't Isaac Newton like notoriously misogynistic and like celibate? I mean, celibate and or gay. Um, oh, okay. But also definitely misogynistic. But yeah, he was a weird dude. Yeah, okay. Good hair, though. Good, very good hair. <laughs> <laughs> There's a really great epicrat battle between Sir Isaac Newton and uh, and uh, Ben Bill Nye. Okay. And Sir Isaac Newton is played by Weird Al Yankovic, and it's okay. great. I've never gotten into Weird Al. I just can't do it. It's hard. I'm I'm with you. Anyways, uh, Silas subdues the cops and still his underwear. He runs out through the women's entrance to the Opus Day Center. He's naked. I mean, he's in his underwear. They say the word naked. I know like he does, times. but he, he, but he's exaggerating. He just wants us to think he's naked. See, standing wearing only his undergarments, he walked to the window. Blah blah blah. At cop fight. Point, at this point, I was like, you know, he's gonna die, and I'm gonna be sad about it. I know. I like Silas. Me too. Even though he's a murderer. It's kind of, a, it's almost, and it sounds horrible. Almost like a Frankenstein's monster situation. Sort of. He's yeah. By Dan Brown, like just like brawny and easily misguided. Yeah, I mean, he, he did. He had a rough childhood. Yeah. Anyways, okay. so there's this, like, tragic scene at the bottom of the thing. So he's running out the door. He runs into a cop. 
and then he grabs the gun the cop drops here's a voice behind him that says or someone grabs he's shot him also he has been shot yes he gets she gets shot by a cop coming up from behind him down the stairs so silas has a gun he's just been shot uh, someone grabs him by the shoulder and so he turns and as he's turning the person yells silas no and then silas uh fires and shoots bishop Aringarosa. It's very sad. It sucks. It's as, a real bummer. Yeah, it's really upsetting. Um, also, I imagine Tom Hardy as, as the albino monk. I don't know why. At this point, that works for me. Yeah. Um, th- these chapters move really fast. A lot of stuff is happening real quick. It's very I mean, the, the the more dumb trivia stuff we skip over, the really <laughs> the yeah. fast we can get through this. <laughs> um, so. Chapter 97, they're going to Isaac Newton's tomb and describing Westminster Abbey in a bunch of stupid ways. This is the second use of the word virgin in this book. I it just is. wanted to say. Um, so, I don't know. It's not a bad chapter. It's fine. Um, it, didn't, it didn't bother me at all, I guess. I think it was fine. Yeah, I, I wasn't fond of his descriptions of Westminster Abbey, but it was fine. Yeah. It is crowded and like weirdly, like there's too many tombs in there, guys get it together london yeah i know you've got a lot of famous people who died there or like in your country but you know, <laughs> put them somewhere else so the point being uh westminster Ab- abbey is huge and confusing and a yes. labyrinth basically Correct. you can get lost in it very easily and uh we're having a hard time finding the rosy flesh and oh there is a thing where he says that it has its entrance on the side as opposed to the traditional entrance at like the bottom of the narthex mm-hmm. which is or yeah, by the which is like not true. There's an entrance at the narthex also. It's not the one where you go in, but like it is where you go out. It's, it, and it is like I think probably originally the official entrance. Oh, okay. Like the one at the nave that he, they go into now is like modern entrance, but it's not like just closed off church. It's not that unusual. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, meanwhile, uh, the teacher is at the tomb of Sir Isaac Newton, mm-hmm. kind of mulling it over, trying to find this orb and having a really hard time. And so uh, he knows that like. Langdon and Sophie are on their way, probably. Yeah, I mean, and then he sees them coming up, and yeah. so he withdraws behind, like, a screen to and, hide. Like, he's like, I have to bait them somewhere mm-hmm. so I can get them to cooperate. And he saw a sign earlier, so he knows the perfect place to lure them to. And so Langdon and Sophie go to the tomb, and they're looking at it for a while, and it's like, hmm, it's also covered in orbs. The whole thing's a big orb with all the stars in the sky on it, and Sophie finds a little note on it. Mm-hmm. And the note tells them... I have teabing. Go through the chapter house out south exit to public garden. Mm-hmm. Which at this point, Langdon should know that this note's a trap. Because, like, they talk about how it's going to take them to a public place where, like, it's a show of good faith. The teacher can't, like, kill us there because, you know, it, it, we're going to a public garden. It's public. And Langdon remembers the public garden. But it says go through the chapter house. And Langdon, as a scholar of religious symbology should know that the chapter house of Westminster Abbey does not have um, anything other than one entrance from the cloisters. An important thing is that the teacher went through the metal detector and the gun set off the fire. Does that mean set off an alarm? Oh, we don't learn that yet, do we? No, we do. It's like... I I think we only learn that like once we find out his identity. No, no, no. There, There was something where he's like... His official status allows him to go uh, through. Okay. Anyway, yeah, he flashed some kind of like signifier. And oh like, yeah, oh, yeah. Very important person. That's true. He does have the gun with him. Yeah. I hate the word cloister. I like it. I okay. like cloisters. Uh, it's a good Pokemon. 
<laughs> and so yeah, they decide to go. They 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 follow the note. They go through the cloisters to get to the chapter house. It's this round room um, where Langdon thinks they're going to have a good view of the garden on the way out because there's windows in it, which is true. But he should also know that the windows in the chapter house at Westminster Abbey are just these big ass stained glass windows that are up high. You can't see out of them because they're stained glass, right. and they're up too high to see out of anyways. Robert Langdon's very dumb. <laughs> And he calls the cloisters claustrophobic, which is stupid. They're not claustrophobic. They're like fairly big hallways that open out on the side to a like little garden, like mm. a square. They're not claustrophobic. Ninety nine. Uh, we get like a very big plot reveal here, right? Yeah. So they so they go into the chapter house. It's a dead end, and standing in front of them is Lee Teabing with mm-hmm. his revolver pointed at them. Mm-hmm. Which means that Lee Teabing is... The teacher. The teacher! Which is confusing. It's not a good reveal. No, it's not. It, it, it It's poor. Like, they're, he's kind of going for a Kaiser Soze moment, and then it just kind of reads flat when it's not on a screen. Like, yeah. the, like, at the end of this chapter, it kind of just... It tells and doesn't show, but, like, in yeah. the worst way. I mean, I, do you have specific notes to this chapter? Do you want to summarize it? Um, I think we can do it pretty quick, probably. Let's uh, summarize it, but I also have a lot of questions. Yeah. Like, for example, why all the hoopla with Remy then? Like, why have... He already had the Cryptex and Langdon and Sophie. He was on his way to it. So... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I somehow I think he thought he was going to get out of it without having to reveal his face at any point to them. Mm-hmm. Until he got to the tomb and didn't know what the orb was. And he saw them coming. He was like, this must be divine providence. Uh, no, but okay, but but okay. So they brought the cryptex to him in his home, so he's yes. good, right? Like yes. Silas doesn't need to take it. Remy doesn't need to do anything. He has mm. the thing he wants, and he has the people there to solve it for. He, he could easily just wait until the very end when they yeah. find it, and then just shoot them both. Like, yeah, there's. I'm well at, at that point. I think he's still trying to get through it without having to kill them. Okay, um, just lay, lay down a, a convincing reason to re- reveal the information instead of keeping it hidden then. You know, there's a, there's a lot of things he could do. But yeah, <laughs> basically, this entire thing's been engineered by him, except for, you know, he didn't originally intend for them to come to his house, although later it seems like maybe he did. But yeah, you know, it was his plan to reveal the documents because he, he, he came to learn that the Prior of Scion had no intention of releasing them. Mm-hmm. And he decided they had betrayed their code and therefore it was on him, Sir Lee Teabing, to do it. Right. He's like unhinged at this point. Yeah. Um, and so the, the thing about Remy being like, I used to work for this awful disabled person, but now it like, it doesn't read, you know? And like, no. and the whole thing about him, like, so he's in the limo. He's in the backseat calling Silas and Remy. Mm-hmm. They get dropped off of the thing. And I guess at this point he salts the cognac glass that he's going to pour the cognac into. Yeah. And so then he goes up to the front to do the cognac, comes to the back to clean up. He should have just cleaned up before he went to the front. Right. There is no reason to, for him to go to the back to clean up aside from to hide from us that Remy or that Lee Teabing was the teacher. Correct. It's it. It's very stupid. Uh, um anyway. chapter 100 um hold on oh he hands them back the the keystone right he, he gives it yes back to he gives it to langdon as a show of good faith yeah um but he's still threatening sophie right 
and she's like someone so unqualified to hold this null to hold this knowledge that she required a symbologist babysitter and she literally solved like so oh, many riddles yeah, like stupid. he would not be here without her um i don't like this reveal at all it's boring it's not good and uh, 100 um we get some powerful arms again mm-hmm. um Ringarosa feels powerful arms holding him yeah silas kind of cradling his body yeah and uh basically takes him to the hospital right he's like takes him to the hospital there's a flashback to the bishop first learning about um you know this thing from the his his thing from the vatican where they initially called him and it's the new pope decided to split ways with opus dei and so they're gonna buy him off and so a i think was trying to get back in their good graces by mm-hmm. finding the holy grail yeah he, like the teacher called him and was like hey yeah here you need some uh, leverage mm-hmm. i got you um and it's just it's it's a very like dramatic like it's raining and silas is bleeding yeah and like ugh. um so he is set to at saint mary's hospital and then silas is like i will i will find whoever deceived us and kill them yeah. and he's like and at, Don't. The, at the end of the day a ring it turns out to be a good bishop and he says no you gotta you gotta forgive people like this whole thing got out of control. You've got to, you know, pray and lift up your own soul and not let your life be ruined by this thing. Right. Um, Robert Langdon is w- walking backward away from Teabing, holding the thing. And then he mm-hmm. goes and he looks out the window and he's looking out at the garden and it's raining out there and he sees an apple tree and he's thinking about the divine feminine and the five yeah. petal flowers. And, uh, it's pretty good. I don't know. I thought we get a lot of bad foreshadowing. This, I, this chapter irritated me a lot. It just, it just seemed there's, it's so long and it's just endless kind of back and forth between Langdon and Teabing yeah. of like, I'll never help you. You'll you'll help me, Robert. No, I'm not going to help you. Yes, you will help me or or all these bad things will happen. You don't deserve this. And um, this is our third burgeoned, by the way. I didn't notice that one. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's that, basically. Yeah. Like, Give it to me. No, please. Yeah. No, I won't do it. And, like, it culminates with their... I forget exactly how it works, but, like, Langdon throws the cryptex up or something. Um, yeah, he turns around, and he's like, do you know where the orb is on the tomb? And, oh, yeah. And Langdon's like, yes. And then yeah, leaving, Langdon's, Langdon's trying to lead him back to the tomb in order to open the crypt decks He's right tr- trying to play in for time and so he knows his lie of knowing where on the tomb the thing is has failed right yeah Steven catches it in his eyes and uh sophie's like fuck you fucked it up basically and yeah uh, well i mean sophie thinks because he when he says he knows where it is he says let sophie go you and i will go to the tomb and open this crypt decks mm-hmm. just let sophie go and i think sophie at this point sort of believes that he has betrayed her and is like is going to open the crypt deck that she's been telling him to destroy. Right, or hand it, o- hand it back over. Um, and then uh, Langdon, like, throws the crypt and it smashes and they smell vinegar everywhere mm-hmm. and then it opens. Yeah, and T-Bing's, like, dived for it. And yeah. He tried... And he sh- someone gets shot. Not, not someone gets shot, but a shot is fired. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, T-Bing looks down and it says Apple on the crypt. Yeah, he's 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 gonna he's gonna force it open so you can like try to see if you can read any of the papyrus before it melts. 
but he like goes to pull it apart and it slides open and he sees it says apple because Newton, apple, rosy flesh, blah, 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 blah. That's the orb's not in his tomb. It's the apple. And uh, Langdon's like, haha, like, look at, I have the map. And uh, they come and they, and they take Teabing away. Oh yes, the cops get there and take Teabing away and he's like, the map to the grail's in his pocket. And the cops are like, shut the fuck up. All right. Uh, 102. Man, oh man. Yeah, it was sad. He bummed me out. He like goes up to a hill somewhere or a garden. Yeah, he's at Kensington Garden. Yeah, and he's just so sad. And he says, "I am a ghost." And then he prayed for mercy. And then he prayed for Bishop Ringarosa. And then he just dies. Yeah, he dies kind of alone in the rain, mist, and kneeling in the park. And it's a it's a good image. It is. It's real sad. Oh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> 103 103 is like our chapter where fash finally gets to explain himself to everybody mm-hmm. um uh yeah he's in the hospital he's waking up right fash i mean aringaros is in the hospital waking up oh sorry yes um so good news aringaros is okay yeah he's fine uh the silas's dying wish was answered um i don't know fine oh yeah uh, they, uh, fash thinks that uh t-bing is going to try to plead uh insanity, insanity but he, his plan is to meticulously put together to be the works of an insane yeah. person and we learned that fash really was convinced from his phone call with the ringarosa that um langdon was not behind this and at that point he really was out 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 for good it just his actions seemed shady that's right um and a ringarosa and he had realized the teacher had tricked Aringarosa and that Silas is on this murder spree and Aringarosa never wanted there to be murders involved in this whole thing. And so it was all this series of misunderstandings interlocking with conspiracies and um, people eventually figured it out. And Aringarosa has decided to use the big payoff from the church to give as some small condolence that he can to the families of the murdered rich men. Yes. Um, um, who definitely need it. Who definitely need the money. Um, Lieutenant Collet, uh, is on TV and they're watching him on BBC, right? Yeah. And they're like, so why did, uh, why did Vizufesh like, terrorize these two innocent people all night? And so. Collet is like, oh, because he's a genius. It and... was a clever ruse to lull the conspirators <laughs> into a false sense of security. Basically. <laughs> um... And Fash is like, you're a real one, Kale. Like, thanks. Yeah. And uh, finally, Fash tells Aringarosa that he kind of, like, uh, interrogated his pilot and forced him to give back the bishop's nice ring so he can keep his ring. Miter crozier applique, which yeah. I looked up. I learned what... I mean, the miter's of... the I don't hat. know. I didn't know that. Fair enough. And the crozier is the staff. Yes. Okay. Cool. Anyway, it's all good. Oh, there was a line that I did like about how uh, T-Bing kind of disguised himself as the teacher because he asked for money, which is the one thing that like, T-Bing doesn't need. Mm, yeah. And uh, he, you know, French accent and all that because, yeah. you know, he's an actor, right? Mm-hmm. And he's a really good liar. That's like, true. Like, keep dropping hints. There's a really good Poirot episode that's like this. Um, anyway, 104. Oh, <laughs> also, we have the, our fourth instance of burgeoning in this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> so now we've jumped forward in time like a little tiny bit um, because... Langdon and Sophie have managed to get to Rosslyn Chapel, which is just south of Edinburgh in Scotland. And it's this church that 
apparently everyone has always thought the grail is because it's full of all these uh symbols from all kinds of religions and practices and it's this weird place and uh it's you know it's a symbologist's paradise but lang's never been because he thinks it's like a a medieval trap, yeah. tourist trap um the new poem that they're working with says the holy grail neath ancient Roslyn waits and again i think that's just the first line of that poem and i don't know why he's doing this i don't know why he's only giving us some poem i thought that was the whole thing for the oh no. yeah you're right you're right yeah he's 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 meeting it out just very slowly yeah um so yeah, we're skipping over a lot, but a yeah. lot about Rosalind and what it is, and it's a pilgrimage it's, site it's, and all it's that. It's all dumb. Um, and then, so there are six important like arch- architectural points in mm-hmm. this church, and the people walk a- along it in the shape of the Star of David, yeah. which doesn't make sense. Wouldn't no. they just walk in a hexagon? I mean, you'd think so, but they don't. They don't. They wa- they 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 go triangle by triangle, and it's yeah. so over over the centuries, people's feet in the stones have sort of worn down the star of david shape mm-hmm. um um so they're there and sophie's like i've been here before like yes. this is something that is very uh familiar familiar and she's like there's a code here oh a docent is a young male docent mm-hmm. is talking to them and is like hey um we're gonna close soon but do you have any questions yeah and they're like uh how about the holy grail is there a code in here that might help us find it and he's like ha, ha, ha. <laughs> it was ridiculous <laughs> Um, I'm trying to find the docent and like what his, there's no real, there's uh, not a lot of description of him. I don't think. Yeah. I was hoping for some, um, anyway, Sophie's having a flashback to when she was a kid and she was there and she like tried to decipher the code of the a bunch of symbols on the yeah. ceiling. Um, and then cause her grandpa had to stop there for something important that she didn't really know what it was, what was up. Right. And when he came back, he was like crying and he was like, I had to say goodbye yeah. to someone really important to me. Um, okay. The second line of the poem is the blade and chalice guarding o'er her gates. So there you go. Yeah. And now, and now Lane's confused because he, 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 the only symbols he can't find here are the blade and the chalice. Yeah. No triangles in this. Uh... Not, not a single one. <laughs> 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 Infuriating. Um, wouldn't they say like, Hey, you look a lot like Sophie. That's pretty wild. No, that's not. To the docent, I mean. What the docent doesn't know who Sophie is. No, but they're t- standing together. Oh, they're I mean, be, they're being a parent. No, because like if you see someone who like looks like someone else you're with or know in public, your initial thought isn't, "Hey, <laughs> you yeah, guys." Okay. Um, you guys but must the be but the docent notices the rosewood box yes. that the thing was, and he's like, "Hey, where 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 did you get that?" Um, my grandma has the same one yeah i've got the same my grandma has the same box and so he's like no this box is absolutely for sure one of a kind and then they have a uh batman v superman moment where they're like my grandfather yeah. also died in a car accident whoa along with my parents and my sister, sister. <laughs> my mom's <laughs> also named martha mm-hmm. um is that the name of superman's mom yeah okay um, well, we talked about this before. <laughs> his, his, uh... yeah, yeah. I mean, his Earth mom. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I started crying a lot because uh, not a lot, but you know, an amount because Sophie realizes that this boy, this docent, is her is long her brother. lost brother, and this woman, his grandmother, is her grandmother. And Jacques Sonier had to say goodbye to his wife so they could protect these two kids. 
and or their parents died and so they're living like mirror opposite lives yeah kind of and um it's sad because she sees this woman like mourning jacques sonnier mm-hmm. and she's like oh my god princess i won't keep any more secrets from you like it's time for you to know the truth and like Sophie's finally feels like she's at home, you know? She she feels like she's found her people. Yeah. It's a lot. I, no, I, 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 I tuned out this part and I was very mad at Me myself. Me too. <laughs> um, oh, God. So now night has fallen. Langdon's kind of slipped out because he feels like he's intruding, even though they keep on telling him he's not intruding. But he's intruding. He's intruding. Um, and so as Sophie and the docent, whose name I think we know at this point, but I don't remember it, um, are like inside chatting, the grandmother comes out and talking to langdon and uh she's very kind of um enigmatic about this whole thing she doesn't really know where the grail is nor does she really care she hasn't i don't think she's even seen it um yeah she's like the whole point of the grail is the mystery yeah like we can't just have it then it loses its mystique if it's just a bunch of documents yeah but langdon but langdon's got an well so first langdon's like so why would sonier you know uh wanted me to come talk about this book and she basically says that, um, you know, even if we don't ultimately reveal this thing to the world, that was never our purpose. The purpose is this hunt and mystery and keeping it alive, but not necessarily revealing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do need people to talk about the sacred feminine and mention it. So you and are now so, the troubadour of the sacred feminine. Yeah, I like that one. Sing her song. The world needs modern troubadours. I just feel like... It's overdone. But Why I like it. does Langdon have to be the troubadour? That's true. Langdon's. Couldn't it be a woman? <laughs> I've got a pretty good book somewhere called Songs. I think it's upstairs. It's called Songs of the Woman Trouvères. And it's like, oh. uh, it's, I think it's someone's PhD thesis, where they're trying to figure out that we know for a fact there were women Trouvères, or in, I think, northern France, they're called troubadours. But um, we know there were women ones. And so she's trying to figure out which songs are written by women because the standard scholarly view has been they're all written by men, but sure. women sometimes performed them. And this person who wrote this thing is like, that cannot be true. <laughs> um, and so she like went and hunted down ones that she thinks have reasonable amounts of evidence that were written by women. It's pretty cool. cool. That is cool. Anyways, Langdon, like he's got to know what, what's up with the grail. How, how can it be here at Roslyn? There's, there's no blade and chalice. And then she's like, what's the blade? He's like, it's a triangle. What's the chalice? It's like an upside down triangle. What do you put on top? She's like, Oh my God, a fucking star of David. <laughs> Um, yeah but then she also tells him that it's not here it's not at roslyn yeah it's been moved and we get the whole poem now the holy grail near the ancient roslyn waits the blade and chalice guarding o'er her gates adorned in master's loving art she lies she rests at last beneath the starry skies and uh immediately grandma um do we know her name yeah but i don't remember it so we can just move on yeah she she immediately knows where it is and she's like ah jacques very clever of you and um langdon's irritated by the mystery and then um the obligatory awfulness happens well here's here's my favorite thing in this chapter really quick um Marie gave a tired yawn. Mr. Langdon, I will make a confession to you. I have never officially been privy to the pres- present location of the Grail, but of course I was married to a person of enormous influence, and my woman's int- intuition is strong. <laughs> Langdon's her to speak, but Marie continued. <laughs> That's the best thing to happen in this book. <laughs> that is pretty good. She's like, shut up. I'm not yeah. done talking. Um, Anyway, she's uh, she's going to go to bed and Sophie comes out and the grandma's like, don't keep Mr. Langdon up too late. That's right. And um, Langdon 
still kind of refuses to admit that he was wrong about yeah. this, but whatever, who cares? And then we get... It's actually not even close to being as bad as the end, end of Angels and Demons. It's not great, though. It's I mean, still, No, it's not good. There's, I mean, there's there's the whole thing, like, it's cold, and like, look it up, and she's all moony-eyed, and she's like, hi, hi. And, like, that thing that mm-hmm. is annoying in movies when it happens. Um, and uh, blah, 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 blah. Langdon's like, I might be gone before you get up. I'm not very good at goodbyes. And then she kisses him on the cheek. And then um, she says, when can I see you again? And Langdon's like, why would you want to see me again? Um, he's like, I'll, 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 I'll be in Florence uh, at a conference. Uh, and I'll be there for like a week without much to do. And then, she, you know, we could live in luxury. It's like, oh, is, are you presuming we'll get a room together? And, uh, and then he's like, oh, my God, that's not what I meant. And then, and then she like decides that, um, no, 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 I would love to do that. Um, but on one condition, no museums, no churches, no tombs, no art, no relics in Florence for a week. There's nothing else to do. Oh my God. And then they, they, they kiss softly at first and then completely when she pulled away, her eyes were full of promise. Uh, Right. Langdon managed. It's a date. (laughs) Um, no comment. Yeah. I don't like it at all. I I hate it less (laughs) than the other thing. But I still don't like it. And I it's, hate her eyes were full of promise. It's very bad. And so let's get past that right to the epilogue here. Yeah, epilogue. Okay. So Robert is back in Paris. And uh, we get, a, I think, our fifth virgin in this chapter. <laughs> you really <laughs> took note of those. There's so many of them. It's a weird yeah. word. Uh, and so he wakes up and he's like, oh, shit. I know where the Holy Grail is. I know is. where the Holy Grail is. And so he follows uh, the rose line. Mm-hmm. of the longitudinal the one the, the one going through paris that we talked about mm-hmm. at length earlier right and he just follows it until he gets to the inverted pyramid in the louvre and he's like ah it must be here mm-hmm. and so he goes into the louvre at like the end of the day at the louvre yeah. and uh he finds there's the inverted pyramid which is glass and then there's a little pyramid underneath it um that is three by three i think or no, yeah. three feet tall i don't know it's and, like it's like it's much smaller than the inverted pyramid yeah and uh, he realizes that this must be it. Like, Jacques yeah. Sonnier has been guarding over it his whole life. And, like, if you extend the sides of the smaller upright pyramid down, then you could imagine it being this kind of underground chamber. Mm-hmm. Just about the right size for, say, a tomb and some chests full of documents. That's right. And uh, uh, so, yeah, there's the chalice above and the, yeah. the, uh, the blade blade below. And uh, it's a perfect moment. He, like, falls to his knees in reverence yeah. of the sacred feminine. Be- well, yeah. And, like, the whole goal is to right, go to the Holy Grail and pray before the Holy Grail. So he does that. He does a Parsifal moment. Um, and, yeah, it's adorned in Master's Loving Art, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's underneath the, the starry yeah. sta- skies. And it is underneath the ancient ro- rose line. Yeah. And... Uh, the end. The book ends there. Uh, great on Dan Brown level. We're going to snap through this because Lena's got to go get a haircut. That's right. Um, uh, on Dan Brownness, give it a B plus. Or no, give it an A minus. Okay. Was, things moved fast and there was a lot of reveals. All of I'm, I'm going A plus for it because of all the reveals and okay. all the dumb plotting. Uh, enjoyable. I liked it. Uh, give it an A. B minus. You didn't like it? Eh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it made me cry. Uh, Angel. Um, 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 hold on. Silas. That's a good one. He's a ghost, though. Um, (laughs) My angel is Pamela Gedham, the research librarian. I liked her a lot. 
Uh, she's good at Google and she microwaves coffee and has tea for herself because she's, I mean, I prefer coffee to tea, but like if it's microwave coffee or tea on offer, I'm going tea. Um, Demon. Um, I'm going to say Langdon um, because he tried to inter- interrupt like the goddess of the Holy Grail. Like mid reveal. She was like, you wanted information, right? And he was like, wait, but my thoughts. Oh yeah. Back up. We also, I guess, realized that uh, when Sophie's grandfather was doing the high roast gamos, it was with his lawfully wedded wife. Yeah. So, you know, um, some random, chubby yeah, floozy. Not, yeah. Uh, my demon is going to be, I think Lee Teabing. It has to be, he's a real asshole. He is a real asshole. <laughs> uh, I think that's it, right? Is that it? Yeah. Do follow- we do an overall for the book? or? Oh, yes, we do. Uh, one overall grade for the entire book. This is the Dan Brown book. Yeah, it's the It's, it's, it's an the A+. Plus. One. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be. And enjoyability, eh, B-. But A+, plus Dan Brown. Yeah. Uh, who's your grandmaster of the book? <laughs> um, you know, it's Sister Sandrine. Okay. I really, really love her. Yeah, my my grandmaster of the book is going to be Lieutenant Collet. I think he really comes into his own throughout the book. He like makes minor mistakes, but never any big ones. Certainly, never like any major moral flaws aside from being a cop. Um, so good for him. Um, you have a. a... I wasn't going to do a demon for the book. <laughs> I couldn't think of a thing to say for it. I don't know. Lee Teabing is just—he's a gross and also a huge asshole. Yeah, he's yeah. not great um follow us on social media yeah follow us on twitter at dan brown code pod email uh, us at dan brown code pod at gmail.com that's right and you can find us on facebook you can follow me on twitter at lena jamili spelled l-i-n-a-j-e-m-i-l-i and you can follow me on twitter at wishbone ulysses i'm uh, going out of town for a while uh yeah when do you come back i come back on the 22nd okay so we'll have time to do the movie version join us uh in the two weeks uh, from now for the movie version where we watch a movie that is somehow more boring than angels and demons i look forward to it i'm gonna treasure every moment i'm gonna watch uh, on the plane home yeah and then get your copies of digital fortress which is gonna be our next book is that what it is yeah okay do you know what it's about yeah it's about it's it's another female cryptographer um, but also her fiance, I think, winds up in Seville mm-hmm. and it's like this NSA thing. Um, there's a whole section where like we learn where the NSA is because when the book came out, it was, you know, the mid nineties and no one knew what the NSA was apparently. Right. Okay. So get psyched for that. We're going to get on some Edward Snowden hijinks. It. He wrote it before Angels and Demons? Yes. Oh man, this is going to be a doozy. Okay. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. I am glad this book is over. We're done with the Da Vinci Code. It was worse than you remembered. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good one. Bye.